Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast powered by Tennis Warehouse. I'm your host, Michelle, and I'm so excited for our two guests today. They're not only two of the most humble men I know, but also two of the smartest. They both work at Tennis Warehouse, so I'm lucky enough to bug them on a daily basis with all of my questions. But these two know more about the science and technology behind the sport of tennis than most people in our industry. So first up, we have Crawford Lindsay. He's co-authored countless papers and books about physics and technology of tennis. He's the brains behind Tennis Warehouse University, which is one of the largest website concentrations of tennis science in the world. It's pretty impressive. Welcome. And then second, we have Jonathan Wolf, or I commonly refer to him as J-Dub or Wolfman. He is a savvy expert on all things racket and string related, and he worked at the USRSA for many years while testing string with... Crawford. Uh, welcome welcome to the podcast. I was really guys. under Crawford. But, okay, well, but let's just tell the people. Yeah, just, I would love to hear I'd like how them to you... think we were equals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think testing string yeah. is no, such a complicated process exactly. anyways. Why don't you start there? How did you guys meet? Tell us about your first couple of days working with this guy. So I was living the dream. Living the dream. Working in the ski industry in the winter uh, in Alta, Utah, and then working uh, in the tennis industry in the summer in Lake Placid, New York, in the Adirondack Mountains. Okay, that sounds pretty dreamlike. And then I come home one day, and my wife says, I got a job in Temecula. Which is California. In California. (laughs) And I said, what? And she said, we're moving to Temecula. Mm. Which... Happened to be in Crawford's neck of the woods. Home so, of the USRSA at the time? Exactly. It's very close. Okay. You know, like a half hour drive. So the second day there, uh, I walked into the USRSA, just, you know, sort of looking for work and knew they had something to do with tennis. Let me interrupt just briefly yeah. what the USRSA yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, stands, it. it stands yeah. for the United States Racket Stringers Association. Okay. And we were an organization that educated basically people in the tennis industry from stringers to retailers and manufacturers, everybody. Got it. And we did so with a membership organization, had lots of services, and then also uh, a monthly magazine. And we also were into book publishing, science books and and, and, and fitness books and uh, just things in tennis. That, Everything uh, tennis. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it really does get better. Um, <laughs> So I go into the USRSA, I get the job, and Crawford may not remember this, but one of my roles at the USRSA was to provi- provide tech support to stringers. Yeah. And um, I was pretty green. I got a call from this guy, and all I could get from the question was, this guy was stuck between... 56 and 57 pounds. He just wanted advice, what, yeah. what he should, he what his reference tension should be. And I was like, mm-hmm, okay. And I ran in, I go, I might have to kick this one up the ladder. <laughs> so I went into Crawford's office and I said, this guy's stuck between 56 and 57 pounds. 
what should he do? What's the number? And I don't think he wanted to unpack all the problems with that question because I gave him no context. <laughs> so he just looked very pensively like the wheels were turning. And then he goes, 56. <laughs> I run back to the phone. I'm not very confident. And I say, 56? <laughs> and the guy goes, mm, I don't know. I was thinking 57. I mean, this, this is... We're, we're talking one pound here. Yeah, right? I mean, right. you can tell the yeah. difference. So I said, I said, all right, hang on, hang on, hang on. I run back into Crawford's office, and I said, he's not very happy with 56. Um, and then Crawford looks at me, and I think he just thought, wow, this guy's nuts. And again, very pensive. The wheels are turning. He's weighing a lot of things. You can tell this is going to be a good answer. He goes, 57. <laughs> I run back to the phone and I go, 57. And the guy goes, yup, thanks. <laughs> I hang up Confirmed. and I go, nailed it. <laughs> so we oh, basically that. did that for five years. Nice. <laughs> yep. Okay, so from there, do we want to dive into what you guys are doing now? I did want to ask you, Crawford, what are the points of your experiments? How do they help the average tennis player? Why give someone a reason to go dive into that stuff? Okay, well, first, the uh, yeah, TWU, which stands for Tennis Warehouse University. So it's a separate part of our website. And first of all, and most relevant to the, the player, is the tools. Yeah. And we have tools for everything and the tools help players pick their rackets pick their strings pick right. their, sh their shoes i have to admit the string comparison is one of my favorite tools on my website i probably use it at least once a day indispensable yeah and it's the only website anywhere where there are tools available where you can actually find out what a racket how it performs mm -hmm. and how it performs in every parameter possible okay and um, then compare it to every other racket. Yeah. And not just in, in like static parameters like uh, weight and balance and swing weight, which are fine. Yeah. But they all go into a bigger thing called the total performance of the racket. Right. And so comparing two rackets on weights is totally meaningless. Yeah. As it is with balance and almost swing weight because okay. um, what you get out of those is a combination of all of the parameters of the racket put together. And so we've made tools that take all of that into consideration so that we give tools that measure the final output of the racket in whatever we're interested in, whether it be spin, power, or whatever. Yeah. And so that's the first thing is the tools are the most important because that's what people want to interact with. Right. And like I said, we have a tool for everything, for all categories of tennis equipment. And... The second thing is you can't make a tool unless you know how the universe works, right. specifically the tennis universe. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to do an experiment to find out what's important in the collision between a racket and a ball Okay. and how that manifests in performance. Right, yeah. And it's easy to say that go out in the court and say, oh, this racket is, does this, that, and the other thing. But how do you know? How, what's your proof? Is right. it just your perceptions or do you have data behind it? What's your measurements? And Jonathan and I are both interested in sort of the, the juncture between uh, uh, perception, uh, measured reality, 
and the relationship of, between those two things and the data that you actually get out of, uh, of doing the experiments. Right. And so it's an interesting sort of trifecta there where um, uh, but the da- but it comes down in the end, you have to have a baseline. Right. And you have to have the data, and the data comes from the experiments. Okay. And the experiments are the most fun thing in the world to are do. They? <laughs> oh, I mean, we'll describe them. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about power potential yeah. and how we do that. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get into that in a minute. But just what you learn from a simple experiment and how much fun it is gathering that data and how long and tedious it is is I unbelievable. Can but it's the, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. You do it. You put in the hours and hours and hours of video analysis and measurements and, and doing it wrong and redoing it. And, oh, my God, throwing your hands up in the air and starting over again. But it's worth it in the end. It's so exciting to awesome. come to figure out how the universe works as manifested in a tennis racket and a ball. And to jump in, what's yes. amazing is that he's actually building the lab equipment. Yeah, that's so. Because you're talk about how you're literally one of the only people in this whole world that does this kind of stuff. Yeah, there's you know it's done here, there, and. Other places that, you know, we have the uh, ITF, the International Tennis Federation, and and they're devoted to keeping the nature of the game the same and uh, monitoring equipment and all the inventions as part of that. So they have a big lab. And there's other organizations and some of the manufacturers have very impressive labs also. And um, then I have Tinker Toys and uh, whatnot. But what you can do with Tinker Toys is unbelievable, and I learned that from Rod Cross, the, my colleague in the uh, University of uh, Sydney in Australia. He's a master of getting the most physics out of the smallest, simplest, re- most ridiculous little experiment you can you can believe. And so we don't need a million dollar lab. We and, and just we just need a monkey and a and a tink, some tinker toys. <laughs> I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to overstate things. Mm-hmm. But like Crawford and, and Rod, yeah. it's like Watson and Crick. Yeah, my brain hurts just thinking I mean, about so it. So <laughs> what they you know, so Watson and Crick discovered what, DNA, double helix and these guys like put things like snapback on the map. Yeah. So it's like they're literally sort of creating stuff that then the industry right. is now incorporating into the way they see the world. Plow through. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's we sort of every time we see someone come up with something, we're like, that looks like it came from uh, Crawford and Rod. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and with respect to making stuff, too, to, so when you do the experiment, you have to set up experimental situations right. to isolate a variable and then figure out first what to isolate test it and see if it was worth isolating in the first place yeah. uh, to figure out what's going on. But building these little little rigs and equipment and then sometimes much bigger devices to do this stuff is, again, it's just incredibly uh, fascinating and fun. Definitely. It looks, I'm always fascinated when I walk by your lab and the wheels are turning and something new is being done or tested. Um, Let's jump into that power potential tool that you had mentioned. Uh, We get a lot of questions from people. They want the most powerful racket. And for us, it's great to have something like that so we can lean on it and have substantial evidence to show to a player. However, I don't know if it always translates because sometimes with my very little knowledge of this, 
um, a racket that might be the most powerful might be hard for a certain player to swing, so they might not be unlocking the power. Okay, Cracky, so, I was like, both I'll, of you jump I'll, in and I'll describe, me. I'll describe the experiment, and then I'll let Jonathan describe. Perfect. The, yeah, we need a translation. That, that second part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the experiment is one of the very simple ones in, in in concept that we have. Yet it yields perhaps some of the most information possible. Mm-hmm. So imagine this is a, a scenario where you take a racket and place it on its butt end, balance it on the floor, for example, or or on a table. And so it's standing straight up on the table. And then you just throw a ball gently, just toss it, toss it, one mile an hour, whatever, and hit the center of the racket, okay, straight in at the center of the racket. Okay, the ball's going to bounce a little tiny bit off the racket. It's very unspectacular. There's no big bangs or collisions or anything. And the racket's going to fall down. Right there is all you need to know about the racket. You analyze that information, and you get just the whole plethora of information. And um, or plethora, (laughs) yeah, plethora, plethora, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, And so it's all all right there. And what it measures, unbelievably, is the the total performance of the racket because everything that goes into that racket—the stiffness, the head size, the weight, the balance, the swing weight, the twist weight, the hitting weight—every one of those vibration frequencies, uh, string tension, string pattern—it all goes into the bounce of the ball off Mm -hmm. of that racket. Okay. And then you can compare. Put a different racket up there and do the same little experiment and can compare the results out. Wow. And, so, and there will be a difference. Right. And there will be a difference on each spot you hit on the racket. Okay. But this is the fun thing about physics is that the universe does the exact same thing every single time. <laughs> and so when you hit that racket on that exact that spot, it's always going to instantaneously that way. within five milliseconds of the time the two are in contact, the universe figures out that I am going to send this ball away from the racket at 42% of the speed that it came in at. Okay. And this racket's going to do it at 43%. And it figures it out the same way every single time. But we measure it. Yeah. And then we can report it in our tools. Okay. And so we can actually say this racket A is more powerful at this location than racket B, than racket C, or than racket D. Right. And nowhere else in the world do you have that data. The, the way I try to think about it is the power potential tool tracks something that's called hitting weight. Right. And that basically allows you to look at a racket at any locate, pretty much any location on the string bed and figure out how much power you're going to get from that location. Mm-hmm. But hitting weight does more than just power. You can sort of figure out from that the comfort a racket's going to have, the stability, even the control. And But no one really talks about this data except right. for Crawford and then maybe somebody stuffed in a lab somewhere far away in a university. Um, but Crawford and uh, Rod have the, have the biggest megaphone. One of the things that I sort of always bring up with Crawford is you have – the tool will give you the inherent power of the racket. Mm-hmm. So racket A has more power than racket B. You can figure – you know, the tool will allow you to figure that out. Yeah. But you, Michelle – may not get more power from racket A. You may get more power from racket B. Right. So one of the most important things 
that you need to do to use the tool is mm-hmm. to try to figure out how, how you factor into the variable by look sort of, you know, asking questions of your game and right. figuring out, okay, I have a long stroke style, so this kind of power level is compatible with that. Definitely. And the best analogy for me is the string analogy. So you your game is based on power. You swing extremely fast. You don't get power from a powerful string because you you can't control it at right. your preferred stroke speed. <laughs> you need a dead string. Give me all the control. With, exactly, yeah. with control. And yeah. then you create the power from right. that. So in every context where you're looking at Crawford's tools, you have to figure out how you factor in. And once you can figure that out, the tools are extremely useful because yeah. you're able to sort of separate one racket from, from another. Uh, definitely. I know I always like to say that I like a powerful racket, and I do, but if I pick up a pure drive, I'm going to be hitting the back fence all, all day long. Right, right. So I need something with a little more... Well, but the important thing, too, about measuring the exact, say, power potential of every racket is that, say, you can't get the most velocity on your shot from the most powerful racket mm-hmm. because you can't swing it. Because right. m- more power is usually means more weight in the head of the racket, uh-huh. which makes it harder to swing. So your swing will slow down and your shot will slow down. But what it does tell you is that I get the most power with a racket that has 40% power potential. As, and that's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I, I get the most ball velocity. Okay. 43% is usually too much, too much and 38% not enough. And so it's a combination of, of, of your swing speed plus the innate power of the racket that produces the final velocity of the shot. And so you have to be able to compare each racket in, in relative power potentials in order right. to, to find where your number is for that, that particular right. tool. Right. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a particular racket and you can't keep the ball in, because it's too powerful, right. then you go to the tool and look for something less powerful, and that then becomes... And otherwise, your... how do you do that? Because nobody advertises their racket as the least powerful. That would make it easy. Okay, well, I'll just go to this company. <laughs> which sort of segues into another... I mean, it's a related point, but we're often pitched by manufacturers... You know, we finally built a racket that's the most this, that, or the other thing. Right. It's got it's more powerful. It's more arm friendly. Um, it has more control. Fill in the blank. But but a lot of times they, I mean, they 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 don't sort of show us the math. But Crawford's tools do. Right. So someone will say something, and I'll you know be in a meeting, and they'll say this is what this racket does, and mm-hmm. then I'll go back and look at Crawford's data on it yeah. and say. Mm, no, it yeah. doesn't, and which helps us just give a more accurate picture to people. Definitely. So, if someone's out there and let's say they have a certain racket and they're fine, their biggest complaint is not powerful enough. You, what would you recommend them to do? Head over to TWU, check out the University of the Power Comparison Tool, and they'll plug their racket in. And then, what are they looking for as a baseline? Like, if they want how much percentage? More power? Like, what? How is the easiest way to go about doing this? Um, well, first, what does the power potential tool mean? What's the number that's put up there? Right, yeah. Okay, so um, first of all, that, uh, given the test that I, that I described, tossing the ball mm-hmm. at the racket, um, what it's measuring is the um, speed of the ball, uh, 
that comes off the racket, the rebound, compared to the speed of the ball going in. Okay. So it's a percentage, it's a ratio of speed out versus speed in. Right. And in that simple experiment where the only speed there, there's no racket speed, it's just the ball. Um, If you hit in the middle of the racket, it's usually in the 40s somewhere, 40%. The ball bounces with 40% of the speed it went in with. Okay. And if you hit in the tip, it might be 15%. Yeah, not very powerful not very, there. <laughs> or at 3 and 9 o'clock, it might be the same, 15 to 20% um, of the speed going out of it as compared to the speed going in. And so you, you, you're just looking at percentages. So Just right, comparing what you currently play with to maybe something you're interested in. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so one or two percent, I mean, that makes a big difference on the court. Right. So one mile per hour, if you add one mile per hour... Um, so you wouldn't want to jump and up actually, too there far. are tools that convert this into miles per hour. If you so, if you speak miles per hour okay. instead of uh, you know, <laughs> I speak better power, miles power per hour <laughs> than percentages. You can go to the um, shot speed tool. Okay, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, but uh, you can go to the shot speed tool and then compare rackets in terms of shot shot speed. Also, yeah, or you can. There's another tool that compares rackets in terms of the contribution of the racket, what percent of uh, the final shot speed compared to other rackets right. is, is contributed by the racket. So there's all these different ways. And then there's other ones called the uh, the uh, racket recommender tool and the total performance racket tool, which compares every single racket in, 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 in flight trajectory, flight time, spin, um, uh, power, uh, time in the air, uh, distance uh, wow. to the bounce, everything. everything. <laughs> and uh, so you can compare every racket to each other in that tool, too, and that's the total performance total, racket total package tool. package right there. Yeah. I think that's really helpful for a lot of our listeners because we will play test a racket and there's usually four of us at least on a play test and we all swing very differently. We all like different things. And constantly I find that people are asking us, oh, how come this scored such a low or such a high power rating? And you don't really take into consideration who's swinging the racket, what they normally swing with. So I think that's something, a great baseline to remember that everyone's got their own personal perspective. What's powerful to me might not be powerful to you. And the consumer needs to realize that as well. Yeah, I mean, I constantly, when I'm writing up playtest reports for strings or rackets, you know, will read comments and think, you know, they must have played with a different racket. Right, totally. But then when you realize that each player has a particular stroke style, which is more or less compatible with a given racket, you realize that the racket literally is different for, for each player. Yeah, and that's okay. There's yeah. no that's right fine, or wrong and that's answer. the way it is. <laughs> but then you have to know that this racket does have these performance parameters. Right. And so you have to be able to choose between the rackets to, to fit your playing style. Yes. And if you don't have a baseline data uh, base of these things, you can't then make a decision. Right. You, so. This is how the, you use the data to to fit to, to your you, demo to, list. To, to, <laughs> to fit to your style. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, of course, remembering when you go out to play test a racket or or when you're just testing, uh, demoing a racket with somebody, um, the the third leg of this table is the fact that what the player is giving you to hit makes right. a huge difference. Which so for example, if somebody's sending 3,000 RPM spin to you yeah. and your swing speed is only capable of turning around 4,000 
RPMs of spin. Yeah. You have to turn around his 3,000 RPMs first, and that only gives you 1,000 left to go in the opposite direction. So, But if somebody's sending you only 1,000 RPM spin, right. and your swing has the speed that's enough to turn 4,000 around, then you're sending them back 3,000 RPMs okay. again. Yeah. So the rule there is the player who gets to hit the big spin shot first wins the point. Because you're never you're never going to be able I'm to scared. unturn around the other guy's spin. Yeah. If he started the got it first, which is why Crawford recommends trying to do some ball machine hitting. Yeah. So, so you're you consistently can, getting the same. Yes, yeah, so you have to get rid of that variable. I mean, yeah. you know, I love though how how his data keeps us all honest and helps us figure out what really happens sometimes. Right. And you know, as I've told you before, we had a newer play tester mm-hmm. who was testing a racket that had a had a high swing weight. Yeah. And actually a higher swing weight, uh, I'm sorry, a high hitting weight. So that means that it doesn't get pushed around. Yeah, much. it was pretty stable. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty stable racket, and it was more stable than the racket that the play tester uses. Right. So he came off the court and was saying how unstable it was, and, and I said, okay, well, you know, Thicken the plot. Let's look at the data. Who, who, yeah. And who'd you play with? First of all, who'd you play with when you came up with that mm-hmm. um, judgment? And he said, well, I was playing with Michelle. Oh, no. And then I figure out, well, Michelle hits an extremely hard ball. So obviously you're going to, the rack's going to twist on impact right. if you don't hit it perfectly. Yeah. And so by, you know, the ability to go look at Crawford's data on the hitting weight allowed me to figure out what really ha- what's going on with that racket. Right. Whereas if we didn't have that, we would just be stuck with anecdotes on the court or mm-hmm. whatever a vendor says to us. So, you know, that is actually really useful. It is very useful for us and definitely something that you guys need to figure out and start using and jumping into so you can learn more about what would work best for your game. Right, right. And, well, well, one thing I want to clarify quickly is we have all these weights. We're yeah. talking swing weight, yeah. and, right. weight yeah. and hitting weight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just briefly, we weight, 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 <laughs> is the, weight is what you actually usually think of as putting it on a scale and weighing. So that's weight. Okay. Okay. Swing weight is basically the resistance of a racket to being uh, rotated in a circle. Okay. Okay. So, Makes sense. Um, and we swing in. Part of our swing is in circles. Part of it's in straight line. Mm-hmm. Um, so swing weight is important. Twist weight is the resistance of a racket to be twisted around an axis that goes the length of the racket. Like okay. when you hit okay. a volley and the racket wobbles. flops and wobbles. wobbles. Yeah. yeah. That's, so that's twist, twist weight. So okay. the higher the twist weight, that means it has more resistance to being twisted around okay. that axis. Yeah. The higher the swing weight, the more resistance it has. The ball will not move the racket as much, but then it's more difficult for you to move the, the ball too. Right. So consequently, you have less maneuverability, but you have more power, you have more stability, and you have more control. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then hitting weight is the only one of those besides regular weight that's an actual weight. And it's a... It's called the effective mass also. Okay. So when you hit on a spot on the racket, you're only hitting at that spot. You're right. not hitting on with the whole weight of the racket. 
And so it's a calculation that figures out at that spot how much sort of make-believe or effective weight are you hitting at that spot. And so we figured that out on every spot on the racket for every single different racket. Okay. And so in general, uh, if you hit in the middle of the racket, it'll be about half the actual weight. So if if you have a 340-gram weight, hitting in the middle will be like hitting with 170 uh, grams at that spot. Okay. And at the tip, it's usually about a third of, of, of the weight. Right, so, that would make sense. So it would be much less. And in some places on the racket, it will be equal. It'll be like only 57 grams. And a ball only weighs 57 grams. Oh, wow. So it's a collision of two objects that are exactly the same weight. So if you take the swing out of it, the ball will come in and it'll come to a complete stop and give all of its speed to that point on the racket. And the racket will go away. So you're getting the wrong thing bouncing off at yeah. that point. <laughs> That's crazy to think that way. <laughs> but, you know, for, for a player who's noticing, you know, when, when they're in a heavy exchange from the baseline or they're returning a big serve or they're, you know, volleying against, you know, nuclear blasted ground strokes right. at net, you know, you notice how much your racket's getting displaced, especially Definitely when you do. hit off center. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they slowed... Federer stroke down yeah. um, and showed what happens at impact and even his racket mm-hmm. gets displaced. So the ability to go look at a racket and find out if it is more or less stable off center or at any point you want to look at is really helpful, especially Definitely. if you keep walking off the court saying my racket's getting pushed around. Yeah, there's yeah. a reason for that. Yep. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad we could kind of dive into this a little bit. I'm going to cut you guys off even though I know no, you could no. speak about this for hours. And we're going to get further in conversations and discussions and experiments and Ooh. see, I mean, Crawford's got a wealth of information. So please go check out Tennis Warehouse University. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. If you have any questions about all of this information, which I know I always have questions, feel free to leave us an email at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And in your reviews, we'd love to hear what you would like to hear from us about, whether it's different experiments from Crawford, different reasons your racket's not working for you, people that you would like to hear on the podcast, all of that kind of stuff. So we're super excited to get into this. And until then, until next time, happy hitting.